Take your time, guys. Just not tomorrow. Well, welcome back to Agape Community Church. It's so good to see all of you back here. Um, it is Community Month. It is a month where uh, we highlight our church uh, initiatives, community initiatives, as well as bring a bit more awareness about community. Thanks, guys. Give them a big hand. Come on. Both are single and available, so if you, you know anyone interested, come and see me first, okay? <laughs> All right. Um, it was John Wesley who said this, the guy who started the Methodist movement. He said this, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. As long as you ever can. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this morning. We want to give you glory, Lord, for just being enthralled in your presence, O oh God. Lord, even as I bring the word this morning, I pray for your anointing. I pray, Lord, that, that you will just speak to every heart here this morning, Lord. That you will just minister, that your presence will be so real in a tangible way this morning, God. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this, this statement is, is, a, is a powerful statement. Do all the good that you can, by all the means that you can, by all the ways you can, in all the places that you can, you know, and, and but doing good is, is, is a really good, it's an interesting concept. You know, we as Christians, we have so much good that we can do. But do you know that also non-Christians do good? There are so many non-Christian organizations as well that do such uh, good work as well. So today I, I want to focus not just on our own church uh, uh, and, and our community ministries. But I want to address a question that most of us would have asked at some point of our life, which is also the title of my sermon. What on earth am I here for? What on earth am I here for? If you've read the book, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, the first line of that book is, it's not about you. It's not about you. So when I read that line, I stopped and I, and I asked myself a question, if it's not about me, why am I reading this book? You know, but, but I, I pressed on, I said, okay. And then I realized why it said it's not about you as it, as it goes on. And it had to sink in a little. There's a lady called, uh, her name is Linda Cruz. She's a frontline humanitarian, a leadership expert, uh, author and inspirational speaker. And she has, she's, and it has an intent on changing the world forever. And for the last 20 years, she's been living out of a suitcase, traveling from one humanitarian crisis to another. In, an, in a recent interview, she, she recalls a particular incident in uh, 2004 when the Asian tsunami uh, hit and 230,000 people died and, and left millions homeless. And she landed in Thailand when it just had happened. And, and she was in a taxi heading to a, a camp where there was the... Um, where, where 5,000 people had gathered homeless and, and, and she was going to give some humanitarian aid. But something happened that, that there was a, a, a sense of overwhelmingness. Just got overwhelmed. So she told the taxi to stop uh, and, uh, and it was just near a cliff and, and it was overlooking the sea. So she thought, you know, um, she'd just look at the sea for a while and get a little bit of, uh, and calm herself down. And, she, and the moment she stopped, she got out of the taxi and she looked out on the sea and there were dead bodies floating on the sea. Dead bodies just floating on the sea. And the sense of overwhelmingness just 
got even worse. But she remembered, and she was a qualified nurse. She, she uh, graduated as a nurse. And she remembered when she was 18, her matron told this to her. It's not about you. It's about what you're here to do. To be of service and help to others. It's not about you. It's about what you're here to do. To be of service and help to others. Today I want to bring to you... Uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan is something that most of us are familiar with. But let me just read to you from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And I want to bring out some truths from here. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 onwards. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when we saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you may spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer replied, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go. And do likewise. Go and do likewise. Just a few observations from here, from this passage. The question was, what can I do to inherit eternal life? It wasn't a sincere question. It was spoken to trap Jesus or, or to test Jesus. And the response was, love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this uh, was not foreign to any Jew. It's, it's part of the Shema which they, 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 they recite every morning and every night. And he asks the question, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on to tell the story. Now we know that Jews look down on Samaritans. Uh, they don't have much connection with Samaritans. And the most likely source of help would be the pastor that's walking past. Or I mean the priest that's walking past. Or the Levite, who in today's terms would be someone who maybe works in church or, or has some ministry somewhere. That would probably be the most, we would think the most source, uh, genuine source of help would come from them. But what did they do? They walked on the other side of the road. If I see something, we walk on the other side of the road. If we see an accident, we slow down. Look at the accident and go on. Some of you might take that number down. 
or worse, the accident's on the other side of the road and there's a jam on this side. Because we slow down to see and we move on. That's what they did. And so, help came from a Samaritan. Very unlikely source. Verse 33, look at it. It says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he had saw him, he had compassion. Compassion. You know, compassion is a, is a powerful word. It's a motivator. It's an instigator. It has the power to move mountains. See, the Samaritan went out of his way. It cost him money. It cost him time. It cost him to give up his own comfort for the comfort of another. And finally, when he asked the question, who was the neighbor? The one that showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. There is nothing more important than meeting someone at the point of need. Meeting that person at the point of need. Watch this video. The hospital is always a place to be avoided. It's a place of last resort when we need help. Many in our Suramantunku Jaffa Hospital are lonely, need encouragement, and are without hope. That is why the Hospital Visitation Ministry was birthed. Every Saturday, a group of people walk through the corridors of the hospital, meeting with patients and their families, encouraging them, praying with them, and many times bringing them the ultimate hope by leading them to Jesus. This is their story. We, the hospital ministry team, always had a, a love for the sick and the poor and the helpless and I began the hospital ministry since I was 16 years old uh, from the Methodist Church in Chennai, India and growing up I also entered the medical field where I was in, with physiotherapy where we had always related relating to patients and hence this has been a growing passion in me until today. Actually, I have a burden for those who are lost and that's one main reason why I got involved in this ministry for the past 30 over years along with my hospital visitation group. We have been there for 30 over years and uh, I, we see the joy when we pray for the sick and needy and see them coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. People who need uh, a miraculous touch from the Lord, suffering from cancer, diabetes and things like that. We have prayed and we have seen many results and there were many cases of uh, accident cases where hands and legs were paralyzed. We have prayed for these and we see results coming and people starting making movement, their legs and hands and uh, the parents who look after them have even told us that they are becoming better and they continue to they tell us to come and continue praying for them and uh, getting them out of the condition that they are in. I can quote some instances of people who have consumed poison and uh, 
were on the dying list but uh, after much prayer and they are telling we telling them about Jesus they have accepted Jesus as lord and savior they have been healed of it and come out of it and and have become christians uh, after having said the sinner's prayer and like that many other instances we have uh, seen in the hospital of people being touched and healed from sicknesses and diseases in fact some of the times when we go there even the hindus and the muslims from other beds near by by the side of the ones that we are praying for call us to pray for them too and they see that there's something in the mighty god that we serve and we go and do it and that's why i love this ministry and i have been involved in this for the past so many years and i hope to continue to my last breath that's right give them a big round of applause you know we need reaching people changing lives that's what it is all about you know and we need more diversity in in this team we need people who uh can speak different dialects of of uh chinese dialects uh you know and and it will be great to to see uh, a more diversified trip go, going into the hospitals and and ministering to uh people as well so i encourage you if if something you've seen has triggered something in your heart speak to dr lionel or anyone on the team and um see how you can be a part of of this ministry maybe if it's just once or twice just to try it out you know and um it's it's really about meeting people at their point of need amen no but today i want to speak to you also about the motivation behind this doing good the question was what on earth are you here for and every human being we 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 have three things intrinsically that we all want and we all need security safety and status security safety and status you know we want to feel secure we have uh, enough uh, uh, in terms of uh, whether it's finances or relationships or or safety in the sense that you know we are always in a place where uh, our family is safe and the people around us are safe and a certain amount of recognition a certain amount of of uh, relationships that keep you uh, in a, in a happy place in a comfortable place in a comfortable place i didn't do this in the first service but in a comfortable place you know we want to be in a comfortable place but even from that comfortable place there is a deep rooted human need for meaning for meaning Now there's a huge difference in doing good in order to find that meaning. And we ask this question, I'm looking for the meaning of my life. And as most of the times when we're looking for something, we take out our phone and we say, let's google it. But this is something that you can't google. I'm looking for the meaning of my, of my life. You take out and you try google, what is the meaning of my life? Or ask Siri, Siri, what's the meaning of my life? I don't understand. Could you find repeating the question? It's not something that is so easily found. What is the meaning of my life? And there's a big difference in doing good in order to find that meaning and doing good because you have already found that meaning. There is a big difference in doing good in order to find the meaning, but as compared to doing good because you have already found that meaning. 
You know, we, we, we may be looking for that in like finding that meaning and maybe gathering more money or fame or fortune or by doing charity work or philanthropy or just doing good in order to find that meaning. In a, in a recent Forbes article, it says that the fact that millions of people are wealthier today than ever before and at the same time, we suffer higher rates of depression and a greater amount of loneliness than ever before. Wealthier than we have ever been before, but a greater amount of loneliness and depression than ever before. Now, I'm not against the acquisition of wealth. It's, it's great. It enables, uh, uh, it gives us choices. It enables us to do more good. But if our lives solely revolve around the accumulation of wealth, it can end up living, we can end up living a life of immaculate mediocrity. Living superficially in the shallows and the starved for a purpose that transcends anything that fame or fortune or Facebook friends can give you. Albert Schweizer, the, the famous medical missionary, he said this, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve. Those who have sought and found how to serve. You know, we all at, uh, at different moments of our life, at different times of our, our lives, have asked that question, what's that meaning? But we always find ourselves at that moment, do we retreat to that safety of the known comfortable place or the possibility of the unknown between comfort and contribution between security and service between seeking admiration and looking good next slide or risking status and doing good between the safety of the known or the possibilities of the unknown, between comfort and contribution, between security and service, seeking admiration and looking good, or risking that status and doing good, between love and fear. You know, it's so easy to be in that comfort zone. It's comfortable, and we all want to be comfortable. But there is an unknown. There is something out there. There is a place where it's unknown. We don't know what's behind the curtain. We don't know what's here. But if God is leading us to enter into a different place, to enter into something of the uncomfortable, enter into something that, that may, be, may be a little bit more uncomfortable than you're used to, there is an unknown but there are possibilities in this unknown. There is a place in this unknown where we can influence lives. There is a place in the unknown where God can take you and lead you into greater victories for Him, where you can truly reach lives. The unknown. Or do we rather settle for the comfortable? Settle for the comfortable. So, are you saying that, you know, we have to be like completely comfortable, completely relaxed, everything, we have everything, and then we start looking for a place where we can serve, 
or, some, or something that we can do to influence the community. Is that what you're saying? No. You can never get completely comfortable. But the idea is to serve. The idea is to give. The idea is to, to be an impact in the community. An idea is to influence lives for Jesus like we've never done it before. Even when it's uncomfortable. Even when we don't have our act together. Even when we're not perfect. Now, Dr. Lionel has been leading this ministry for the last 30 years, this hospital visitation ministry. And I don't know how many of you know his story. Um, and I'm not highlighting him because he's my father-in-law, but it's because I know the story, and I know the struggle, and I know the, what he has been through in order to be where he is today. So watch this video. In 1983, I met with a nasty car accident while on my way back from Sitiawan. And as a result of which, I sustained injuries to both my hands. Both my hands were fractured. My right leg was fractured in three places. Three parts of the bone were fractured. And uh, I also lost my beloved son, Luke, as a result of this accident. And my wife, who was seated at the back, she was also injured. And, uh, and she was lying unconscious at the back seat. Uh, and uh, I was lying there for some time because as a result of the accident, I couldn't take control of the car. The car went down a ravine 20 feet down and uh, it was lying there. And uh, the, the firemen came to try and help me out, to get me out of the uh, condition I was in. And they brought in the uh, equipment necessary for getting me out and uh, as a result of them uh, doing the work to cut the car and get me out from the situation I was in a spark came out and uh, it almost started burning a spark came out and they got frightened they left me down in the ravine and they ran up uh, thinking that the car was going to explode but I cried out to the Lord, no, it shouldn't happen, and uh, nothing happened. They came down again with fire extinguishers and all that, and I told them it's, it would have been too late for you to come down and save me if the fire had come out. Then they cut the car up, took me out to the hospital, and brought me to uh, Kolagubaru, where I was uh, hospitalized for a number of days. And I, I, in fact, when I met with the accident, I. I asked God while seated in that place uh, with the whole engine on top of my leg and uh, I asked God, why, why Lord, why did this happen to me? And uh, I questioned God. I was not angry with God or anything like that. I just questioned God because the word of God says in uh, Isaiah 43, you can uh, put God to remembrance, let us reason things out. And I just reasoned things out with the Lord and I was assured that uh, everything was good. And uh, as a result of the accident, both my hands that were fractured, I, I couldn't raise my hand from the wrist up because there was a wrist drop for both my hands. And uh, I, the doctors who were treating me told me that you may not be able to function, your hands may not be able to function again because the nerves are completely severe. But... Uh, uh, I told them, no, I will 
be able to get it back to normal because my god is a great god and uh, and lo and behold after they had given me some treatment for the wrist uh, drop uh, my both my hands became normal and i am able to do dentistry even better than ever before and i give god all the glory and honor and praise my talus bone was also fractured and uh, the doctors told me that it'll die in uh, about uh, a years time but it is 30 over years now it is perfect except for a slight shortening of my leg otherwise everything is perfect and good and i praise god that even though he has taken my son away he has given me five beautiful daughters and uh, more above that uh, more and above that he has given me two wonderful sons in law and uh, and i know i'm going to get another three sons in law and god is going to bless me abundantly ever since after the accident i came closer to the lord in fact i was close then also but i became closer and mighty things have been happening my uh, uh, my clinic has been blessed abundantly and in every area of my life i see wonderful things happening i i went through even a heart condition but god has healed me of all that heart condition and uh, i give god all the glory and honor that many other afflictions of the righteous but god will see them through it all our we serve a faithful all dependable wonderful god come on let's give god the glory man you know you don't have to wait until your life is perfect before you can be uh, contribute to the society and i totally agree that he's got two wonderful sons in law you know but you know he he started out from a place of hurt uh for pray from a place of losing a son a son losing a child in that accident uh and that's why i think maybe he started having more and more kids trying to get a son again but you know uh, the promise one was a son in law not a son so you know but even angelina who was pregnant at that time with my wife in that accident you know it he said he was there for for uh, a little while in the hospital but it took him almost a year for for recover full recovery to to take place but from a that kind of a place from that kind of a situation he recognizes that that an encouraging word or a prayer at the right time in a patient's life can make a lot of difference and i believe that is the motivation that has kept him going for so many years because he finds his sufficiency in a loving god and in loving others you look back at verse 33 to that samaritan it says but a certain samaritan as he journeyed came where he was where that injured man was he came to where the injured man was and when he saw him he had compassion he had compassion now in our journey we, we can we choose to approach those who need help and find that compassion that we can choose to cross the road Or, or, or we can find that the place where we can choose to help the person, or we can cross the road and walk on the other side. It's a choice that we make daily. It cost him money. It cost him time. Cost, he had to go through that entire. Uh, he was on a journey, but he had to break away from the Samaritan to break away from the journey, and treat this guy and and and. and his own oil his own wine to 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 bind the wounds of the, of 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 this guy and take him to an inn 
Now that, that word compassion, you know, it's, it's a powerful theme of God. It's a powerful theme of God. Uh, compassion is a strong feeling of sympathy and sadness for the suffering or those who are in bad luck or others and a wish to help them. Compassion doesn't just stop with feeling sorry for someone, but it moves to the point of helping them. That is compassion. It is not just, I am sorry for you, but I want to help you. Now, if you look in the Bible, the, 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 this theme, compassion, again and again and again is repeated. You look at Exodus chapter 2, verses 6, and talking about when, when Moses was, in, or was floated down the river and Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And he says, when she opened it, when Pharaoh's daughter opened this basket and saw the child, and behold, the baby wept, she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Yet she took him in and she, she raised him up as a prince of Egypt. And this guy, this man, this Moses went on to, to save the Israelite nation from uh, slavery into freedom. But it all started with one lady's compassion for that child. Her compassion paved the way for the work of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 3, it says, The Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion to you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. It is God's compassion that brought them back from exile. In Psalm 78, 38, he says, But he, being full of compassion, forever forgive their iniquity and did not destroy them. They, yes, that they may return, he may return from his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. In Psalm 145, verse 8, it says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great is mercy. Compassion is a characteristic of God Himself. Of God Himself. And we see it in Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Matthew 20, 34 says, When Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Compassion moves people. In Mark 1, 41, it says, And Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Talking about the leper. Jesus himself was moved to compassion that he moved to act out the healing. He moved to feed the multitudes. He moved to heal the leper. And you see in, in 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, finally all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, and not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to do this. Call to have compassion. Call to have compassion for others that you may inherit a blessing. We don't do it because we inherit a blessing, but we do it because we are called to be a blessing. To have that compassion. Just yesterday, my wife and I were watching a, a documentary on, on, on Netflix about Bill Gates. And Bill Gates is, uh, uh, you know, he's the founder of Microsoft, but he's left Microsoft and he's working mostly on the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation now, um, doing a lot of philanthropy. You know, he's, he's looking around, he's, 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 he's obviously rolling in money and stuff, but there's something that he's championing now. Something came to his attention. And do you know what it is? 
toilets, sanitation. He, f- he f- came across information that thousands of children are dying every day because of diarrhea. In slums, in, in, in developing nations that there is uh, no proper sanitation where they live, that, that in the makeshift holes that are called toilets, that the, the feces goes in and, and, and someone gathers it all up, goes to the river and dumps it in the river, and this river goes down where the children play and, and water is taken to cook, E. coli sets in, diarrhea sets in, children die. And when he realized this, he, he, he is on a mission now. That the foundation is on a mission now to find a, a, an alternative solution for proper sanitation in developing nations. And, and I googled it yesterday, and, and, and I, the, the most recent is that he has initiated 4,000, um, they call it tiger toilets in India. And, and tiger toilets because of the tiger worm. Apparently, uh, uh, someone found out that these worms actually break down uh, feces and, and turn it into compost. So it is a standalone work alone without water, without anything, but it can be healthily consumed and, and, and turned into compost. So they're starting off a pilot program, program there, and, and 4,000 toilets have been built and is running now. And at the same time, he's issued like a four mil, 400 million grant for people to, to research this and develop uh, proper sanitation. But let me tell you this. You don't need to be Bill Gates to make a difference. You don't need to be Bill Gates to make a difference. You can be who you are and still make that difference. You can be who you are and still make that difference. I have a friend who we grew up in church together. We were in Sunday school together in children's church. And uh, uh, we studied in in Singapore together. She was an ASEAN scholar. And... um, she went on to, uh, her name is Sasibai, she went on to uh, do a Bachelor of Science in Economics in Finance and Management, uh, come Lord from uh, Wharton School, uh, from University of Pennsylvania, and then on to do a Master's in Philosophy in Environment and Development from Cambridge University. She worked as a director in the private equity team at First Avenue Partners in London, worked in Ghana with Opportunities Industrialization Centers International and the United Nations Development Board, Uh, And in New York, she was an investment banking analyst at Lehman Brothers. She was headhunted, brought back down to to Malaysia, and uh, she was was made the vice president in investments division of Kazana National. And then something happened. Watch this video. Earthhour was actually founded um, through a series of encounters that I had um, in Cambodia in 2011. I was able to spend about two months there um, working on um, some social work, building schools, teaching English uh, with villages in Kampong Thom. And it was during that time that I was able to um, interact with weavers and craftspeople. And I noticed that um, the weavers and the craftspeople didn't make very much money um, because the middlemen that worked with them ended up getting the profits rather than them. And I felt that this was a real injustice and there was something that needed to be done about it. And I was also able to visit a couple of shelters in Cambodia. And one of the shelters that I visited was for children who were rescued from trafficking. 
while I was there at the shelter, um, I saw a child sitting on a chair by herself and um, she had a look of trauma on her face and she was crying. And I asked my friend, what happened to this child? And she said, this girl is only six years old and she had just been rescued from a brothel a week ago. And this, the look on this child's face um, is with me every day and it's what reminds me um, about why we do what we do at Earth Air. And I knew that I had to do something about what I was seeing and that was when Earth Air was born. She went to Cambodia and something happened, something changed in her spirit. She saw this little girl who was six years old and she had just been rescued from a brothel. That's what happens when poverty sets in. Families sell their children in order to make a living or to get money to go by. And she is unashamedly Christian. She, she is strong in her faith. But something stirred in her that she came back and she said, look, we need to do something about this. We need to do something about this. So she came back. She gave up that job, that very lucrative, that very comfortable job. And she started a company called Earth Air where she works with uh, Syrian refugees, she works with Cambodians, she works with those in Ghana and even here in, in, in Malaysia, the Orang Asli, the Malanao and Bidayo cultures as well and, and, and markets their products in, an, in, a, in a manner that is respectable. And, and through her contact, she's also worked through microfinancing for, for these people to be able to move out of poverty and into a, a place of where they can sustain themselves. But my question is, why? Why would someone give up that place of comfort? Why would someone give up that place for comfort and get into the unknown? What on earth are we here for? Can I have the worship team up, please? What on earth are you here for? You're here to love God. You're here to love people. But how can you love people? By serving them despite our own weaknesses and faults? By moving away from that comfort zone and entering into the unknown? By the unknown that is guided by God? Last week we noticed that it's not by power, it's not by strength, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. By my spirit, by my spirit. You know, God has called all of us to make a difference. God has called all of us to make a difference. In Matthew 25, verse 34 to 40, we see a picture of what the judgment throne will look like. And it says in verse 34, Then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? When did you see a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did you see a sick or in prison and come to you? 
And the king will answer and say to him, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you do, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my children, my brothers, my people, you did it to me, Jesus says. And maybe time we ask ourselves some questions. What do we actually live for? What on earth are we here for? No, it's not just about the church's community programs, not just about the drop-in center, not just about the hospital visitation. Yes, all of that is well and good and great. Get a, be a part of it if you can. But there is so much more. There is so much more that we, individuals, groups, together, what we can do to touch lives, to reach people and change lives for Jesus. Maybe we can ask ourselves the question, who can we show compassion to? Whom can we show compassion to? Or maybe you're saying, look, I'm, I'm retired, I'm, 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 I've done what I can, and now it's time for me to get comfortable and sit on the couch. Fine. Do it for two months. And then after that, Lord, what's next? Where do you want to lead me? What do you want me to do? What's in your hand? What is the training that you have? What are the skills that you have that you can use to be a blessing to others? Maybe a portion of your company's profits can, be, can move towards a CSR program where you can invest into people's lives. A corporate social responsibility program where your, your company can be led to touch other lives. Maybe it's something that you can do personally or professionally. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him. What's in your hand? What has God given, given you that you can use to touch the lives of others? And if you don't know where to start, can you start somewhere? Can you start somewhere? Can you start somewhere? The church's community efforts are, are there. If you don't know where to start, you can join some, one of it. You can be a part of it or just try it out. Or is it even Nilai? Is there something that you can do in Nilai that can help change lives? You know the church is moving towards that and starting it in January next year. But above and beyond that, is God calling you to dream big dreams? Don't look down on the small things. That's where it begins. But is God calling us to dream big dreams? What is it that you have that you can use to change the nations, to touch lives, to touch communities? Can I just ask you to just bow your head for a moment and just speak to the Lord?